I am Camille Johnson, and this is Finding the Floor. Stories and reflections of midlife motherhood, family, and finding meaning in it all. Join me as I share a little piece of my life and figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Hi friends, welcome to Finding the Floor. This is episode 95 and today we are going to talk about Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, the book written by Stephen Covey. This is actually pretty much going to be our topic for the summer. I am going to go through the book with you guys and because all of the chapters are just full of really good stuff. I am going to break it down by habit, and today I'm going to do more of an intro and the information given in part one of the book before he even starts the habit, which is really, really great. So this one is going to call more perceptions, motivations, and paradigm shifts, changing from the inside out. So to begin... A couple weeks ago, I had a bit of a personal character crisis, I would call it. Um, It may not seem like a big deal, but for some reason for me, this, it's just really made me think. In short, I was a little bit sick. I had been sick all week, but nothing really very bad. I just had this sore throat and was scheduled to serve in the temple and I have friends I as I drive with because it's a long drive and just thinking that I was at the end of it I just brought some cough drops and some water and thought I'd be good to go. So I didn't really think much about about it cuz I just didn't think that it that like I was that sick. So I go to the temple, I ride with them. It's like a 3 hour drive. And I noticed that like I'm starting to get these tickles in my throat. And so I start coughing, which I hadn't done like the whole week. I hadn't been congested. I hadn't had a fever. I was able to get through the shift and really thought all was well until the next day where I woke up and like had no voice. And I was just then wow, I realized that like maybe this was worse than I thought and I rode in this car with my friends for like almost five hours and just feeling really bad that I had spread this cold. And not only that, it was just like this idea that I probably should have taken more precautions and who was I to just do that? And I know right now, like, I feel like with the past two years with COVID, like, maybe there's just a lot of, um, I don't know, I want to say shame involved in like, just when you're sick, if that makes sense. But I was just feeling a ton of shame. And I texted them and just apologized and, you know, prayed that they wouldn't get sick. And then I just was like, just feeling, I think a lot of it was a lot of shame And then I was thinking just like, really, who am I? Why would I just not think about that? 
And again, like I thought it was just at the end and I didn't really think it was that bad. And I mean, that could all be put into play. But, you know, I I try to think of myself as like trying to think and care about other people. And I think then I was I was more excited and concerned about like serving in the temple and and maybe that was like clouding my judgment and so it's just made me like really think like what am I doing like am I actually the person who I think I want to be and then the other thing that I really was thinking about was like was I worried more about them getting sick which I really was but then also was I I was also worried about like what they would think of me And my friend was very gracious and lovely as she always is. And I just think I'm grateful for the principle of forgiveness and um, that we can work on becoming better. And it was very, I guess, serendipitous, we'll call it, that last week during my podcast, I came across the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I mean, this book has been around for 30 years and I read it, read it, you know, way back then But it's interesting how coming back to it now, I feel like it's having more weight on me and who I think I am and and all these things. And so I just found it really interesting that I was kind of having this like, am I really the person I say I am? Am I doing the best I can? I mean, we're all human and we make mistakes. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I obviously made a mistake and I've learned from that. And I guess I want to learn and grow even more from that experience and just really dig deep into all of that. And so I just found this book and even just the beginning of this book really helpful and fascinating. And so for this summer, I'm going to invite all of you to check out this book or get the audio version And take the time to read it with me. And whether you share it with your family, that's all up to you. I'm going to see about trying to do that and help them as well. But what I find interesting is really the principle of this book is beginning from the inside out. So I need to make sure that I am working on changing my perceptions, my paradigms, and my motivations behind the things I do. And that will then change me as well from the inside out. So the audiobook that I have been listening to was updated in 2009 and is read by the author Stephen Covey, who died just like three years later in 2012, sadly. And But in the beginning of the book, he recognizes that, you know, when he wrote this book, the world was way different because it was written in 1989. And then in 2009, 20 years later, but now it's been even 33 years later, but that things have changed from like industrial age to like this global information age. And that even though like things have changed so much that ways we couldn't have imagined we'd communicate or um, live our lives in such a way that still these principles are enduring because they're true principles. And he 
emphasizes he like didn't come up with these principles. These are principles that have been around forever. He just is organizing them in a way that we can then try to internalize them and practice doing them. So at the beginning of the book in this introduction, or I guess it would say part one of the book, he talks about one of his sons that was having an issue, like he was having issues in school and in sports and just all around struggling with, I guess, being effective, if you want to use that word. Um, He wasn't able to take his tests very well or process things. He was having a hard time even knowing when to swing a bat when he was playing baseball. And there was just a lot of things they were worried about with his son. So he remembers he would try to motivate him in different ways, give him positive reinforcement, help him with his behavior or changing his attitude. What's interesting is as they were in the midst of this problem, Mr. Covey was also doing research. He did his doctorate on like leadership and success. And so he was researching all the leadership and success literature that was written for the last 200 years from 1776 to when he was doing it, which was in 1976. And what he found was really interesting. In his research, he noticed that prior to like World War I, most of the successful literature was about character ethics and developing characters. They focused on things like integrity, humility, fidelity, temperance, courage, justice, patience, industry, simplicity, modesty, and the golden rule. And then he said he noticed, however, after World War I, there began to be a new way, which he calls the personality ethic. So before it was the character ethic. And after World War I, he calls it more the personality ethic success in more terms of public image, of attitudes and behaviors, skills and techniques. He says it basically had two paths. One was human and public relations, and the other was positive mental attitude. Sayings like, your attitude determines your altitude, or smiling wins more friends and frowning. Whatever the mind of man can conceive, it can achieve. And he says, with the personality ethic, there was a little bit of talk of character in it. It was mostly based on the ideas of quick fixes, um, power strategies, communication skills, and positive attitude. And as he was in the midst of his research, he realizes like he's going through the struggle with his son and realizes that they have been trying to help him from the outside like personality change your attitude change your behavior something like I guess seeing him like he needs to be fixed in a certain way like there's something wrong obviously if he can't make his test or he can't play sports comparing him to others and what I think as they dived deeper into this problem that they realized a lot of times their sense of worth which I think we all of us do as parents kind of came from his perceived good behavior or bad behavior or accomplishments. They were like thinking, were we worried more about how he looked because of how that reflected on how they were perceived as parents? 
and they realized they needed to change their perception of their son, that they didn't need to change their son, like their son didn't need to change. It was their perception of their son that needed to change. So they said, with deep faith and prayer, they decided to change the way they saw their son, not to change their son. He says, we saw our natural role to affirm, enjoy, and value him. We also consciously worked on our motives and cultivated our internal sources of security so that our feelings of worth were not dependent on our children's quote-unquote acceptable behavior. So I just thought, It was so interesting, this idea of like, they're worried about their son and how many times have we done this as parents? I know I, I went through this a lot, especially I think when you have a child that does not like choose acceptable behavior sometimes in his life that you really do have to come to terms with who am I in general? And I know I've talked about this on other podcasts and talked about how my third son really challenged me to really think about what do I define as good parenting and what does that look like and what am I thinking about? Am I thinking more about me and how I'm looking or am I thinking about him and really what he needs? And I just love that thought of like our natural role was to affirm, enjoy, and value him and that they worked on cultivating their own internal sources of security that wasn't related to how their children performed in life, which I think all of us parents need to do. And I I think that kind of comes and goes. I've noticed that as my kids are all home for the summer, and which is so fun to have everybody home, like my oldest is home. um, He just got home last week. And so it's just been fun to have all of them home. But then I have like these ideas of how I think this summer needs to be or what they need to be doing. And I'm just trying to get my head around. Maybe I need to work on how that needs to look and be better at like affirming and valuing and um, enjoying them and to help them figure out like how they need to be but not neglect like, yeah, they all need to help around the house and I want to make sure they're developing their talents, but doing it in a way that's not like, I need to feel good. Like if you perform a lot, that will help me feel good. Okay, so that brings me back to like, you know, a couple weeks ago and thoughts about myself. And again, what was I more worried about? What they thought of me or if they got sick? And I think it was a combination of both. Like I honestly was really worried. I didn't want them to get sick. But then I was like, what does that mean about me? And who am I that I would do that? And maybe I'm making it more dramatic than it really is. But it's just made me really think about, am I really living into my values? But even more, what's interesting is Stephen Covey talks about like principles like we, we are governed by true principles and that we have these values that come out of these true principles. And so I think as I've been striving to maybe have a principle of charity and love, maybe I just didn't quite live up to that 
in my actions and need to work on that. So um, Stephen Covey talks about paradigm shifts and the way we see the world. And one great way I think he gives an example of is talking about it as an example of maps. He says, a map is an explanation of a certain territory or an interpretation of it. So like when I draw a map of my neighborhood, it isn't my actual neighborhood. It's just my interpretation of the neighborhood, my drawing. And he said, that's what a paradigm is. It is a theory. We have all been born in different situations and see the world in slightly or very different ways because of how we were grown up and where we were born and our parents and all these different things. And so he says, sometimes you can think of a paradigm shift as a map of somewhere. So he gives the example of someone trying to get somewhere in Chicago, but accidentally they have gotten the map of Detroit through a printing error. So no matter how hard they try to get to whatever place they are going to go, they're not going to get to the right place because they have the wrong map. And he says, even if they strive to have a really good attitude, good behavior, um, the best, most efficient way to drive, they're still going to be lost because they don't have the right map. So how he also explains it is with our paradigms or maps that we have in our head, they can be in two main categories. First is the way things are or the realities and the map of the way things should be or our values. We interpret everything we experience through these maps and seldom question their accuracy. So one exercise he remembers doing in college and he did a lot when he was doing training was to have this picture um, that he would show people and to show them how even prompted just a little, you can perceive a picture in a very different way. So I'm sure many of you know this picture. It can be looked at and you can see a young woman or an old lady. And he said he would divide groups into two sections and say, I want like, look for a young woman or find an old lady. And because they were just given that one tiny prompt, that is what they would see first. And then they would try to like talk to the other group. And they said at first, they'd kind of be like, I can't believe you can't see this. And it would take them a while to get to the place where both of them would see both pictures. And he's saying that's just like a quick, small influence, like at the beginning, saying, look for a young woman or look for an old woman. And how all of us have years and years of our own types of maps that we built in our head of how we think things are supposed to go. But he talks about that eventually they both can see the picture um, when they finally come together. So he says this quote, this brings to focus the basic flaws of the personality ethic. To try to change outward attitudes and behaviors does very little good in the long run if we fail to examine the basic paradigms from which those attitudes and behaviors flow. And he gives a great example of a paradigm shift. So it's just like the shift of how you see someone. So he tells the story of how he was on the subway in New York City. And they were all, it was just like a quiet 
day, people reading newspaper or some people are a little bit sleepy and it's just quiet and everyone's kind of doing their own thing. And then at this next stop, a family gets on, a father and his kids, and the father sits down and the kids are just kind of running around wild. He says they're yelling back and forth, throwing things and even grabbing people's papers. He said it was really quite disturbing. So finally, Stephen Covey nicely says to the man, sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you could control them a little more. So then the man says, oh, yes, I guess I should do that. We just got back from the hospital where their mother died an hour ago. And then he says, I don't know what to think. And I guess they don't know how to handle it either. And he says, wow, what a shift. Like his being irritated with these kids running around totally went away, he said, instantly. And he then was like, well, tell me about it. Is there anything I can do? And he immediately had more compassion for this man. And I think sometimes we've had experiences where we have this idea of somebody and why they're acting a certain way. And then we find out that we're totally wrong. I have a really small, tiny example. Like just this earlier this week, on Memorial Day, we were getting ready to like go out. We were gonna we we're gonna go play tennis and pickleball together, and I don't know why I thought my husband was just annoyed with me all morning, and I was perceiving his being annoyed and having like huffy breath. So finally, like I was like, okay, I'm sorry you're so annoyed with me. What what do I need to do? And he just was like, I'm not annoyed with you. I haven't been annoyed with you all morning, and. I must have been just having these thoughts like, I don't know, perceiving one thing where I was totally wrong, which was great because I didn't want him to be annoyed with me. And here I am being all grumpy and annoying, probably to myself, and then thinking that he's annoyed with me. So sometimes we just have small little things when we ask, or sometimes it comes out in a not great way like that, like, what's wrong? Why are you so annoyed with me? And he's just like, I'm not. Or a really dramatic situation like Stephen Covey's on the subway where you hear someone's story and you now understand a little bit more background into their life and you have this shift of how you see them. And he said with his son's situation, it was more of a slow process, but they did their best to see him and let him progress at his own pace instead of comparing him to others. He said in his book, the power of a paradigm shift is the essential power of quantum change, whether that shift is in an instantaneous or a slow and deliberate process. Okay, I love this other example he gives about a paradigm shift, which is told by Frank Koch. I don't know if I said that right, or coach or cook. In Proceeding the Magazine of Naval Institute. Okay, and I'm going to read the story. So it's a couple paragraphs, but it says, Two battleships assigned to the training squadron had been at sea on maneuvers in heavy weather for several days. I was serving on the lead battleship and was on watch on the bridge as night fell. The visibility was poor with patchy fog, so the captain remained on the bridge keeping an eye on all activities. 
Shortly after dark, the lookout on the wing of the bridge reported light bearing on the starboard bow. Is it steady or moving astern? The captain called out. Look, lookout replied, steady, captain, which meant we were on a dangerous collision course with that ship. The captain then called to the signalman, signal the ship. We are on a collision course. Advise you, change course 20 degrees. Back came a signal, advisable for you to change course 20 degrees. The captain said, send, I am a captain, change your course 20 degrees. I am a seaman, second class, came the reply. You had better change course 20 degrees. By that time, the captain was furious. He spat out, send, I am a battleship, change course 20 degrees. Back came the flashing light. I'm a lighthouse. We changed course. So good. Like sometimes in the fog of our lives or the maps we have, we just have ideas of how things are supposed to go or perceptions of people and just how once we get a clear idea of what's going on, like I am a lighthouse. Oh, I, I need to move because now I know you're a lighthouse, but it was foggy and he couldn't see. And so what Stephen Covey says is that he says principles are like lighthouses. They are natural laws that cannot be broken. And I love this next part. As Cecil de DeMille, de DeMille observed of the principles contained in his monumental movie, The Ten Commandments, it is impossible for us to break the law. We can only break ourselves against the law. Whoa. I think that's just really powerful. I'm going to read that again. Is it, it is impossible for us to break the law. We can only break ourselves against the law. Okay, he says principles include things like fairness, integrity, honesty, human dignity, quality, excellence, growth, and potential for growth. Things like patience, nurturance, and encouragement. And he says using these things to build an effective and happy life. But one thing to recognize, principles are not values, he says. A gang of thieves can share values, but they are in violation of the fundamental principles which we are talking about. Principles are the territory or the actual neighborhood, and values are the maps. Really, there is so much in this first part of the book, and but Basically, he's saying the job here of these principles is work on the inside out, like changing your perceptions and how you see things, because those are the things that you have more control over. He's talking about, you know, we're getting basically a new map. So when we're actually in Chicago, instead of having a map from Detroit, we actually have the map of Chicago, which can get us to where we need to go. And he's saying not that the things that are suggested by the personality ethics are bad, but they're just missing the right fundamental principles that they're based upon. So I find it interesting that as they let their son just be who he was and worked on what their motivations and ideas about what he should be or how he should, how fast he should grow or accomplish things that he began to flourish. He ended up doing very well in sports and in school and was even elected to many student body positions at school. He said, but both Stephen and his wife are really working on their paradigm, 
their perceptions and motivations behind what they thought and who they thought their son needed to be. And that is what these seven habits are about. It's not about quick fixes. It's about a principle character approach to changing our perceptions from the inside out. So for me, I realize that sometimes I really do care about what people think of me. Even if I have done a podcast in the past about what you think of me is none of my business. But sometimes I really do care what you think about me. But I think it's getting to the place where I'm more um, concerned about being the person that I actually want people to think I am. So I think it's funny, like, actually, sometimes I think I want people to think I'm like, really clean and put together. But sometimes I'm really not. And why do I want people to think that of me? Is it because I think they'll think I'm like a better person? And most of the time you guys know here that yeah, I'm not always clean and sometimes definitely not all put together. And that's also okay. Like, I think it's getting beneath like, why do I want people to think that? Because that's what everyone else thinks is good or not. And maybe I just not worry about what people think of me and worry about just being maybe more clean or put together. I mean, I have been making my bed now for a while, which I'm really proud of. And it's funny, on the days where I don't, I think about the idea that I am striving to be mostly the type of person who makes my bed every day. But sometimes I don't. And I think that's the other thing is to really, like we're not perfect people. We're always striving to be better. And I think that's what this book is really going to help me, especially in hopefully my family and hopefully some of you um, as we kind of revisit this. If you, maybe you know it and you have internalized all these habits, but this summer, that's what I am going to focus on. So for the next seven weeks. Okay, you guys have an awesome week. And as always, seriously, thanks for joining me and I'll talk to you next week. All right. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any questions, come by findingthefloor.com where I will have show notes and links for anything I've mentioned today. Special thanks to Seth Johnson for creating and performing the theme music. Come back next week and thanks for listening.